Welcome to Combo's Court. Welcome to Combo's Court. Welcome to Combo's Court Podcast. Come on, nation. <laughs> Somebody got to send me a drop, man. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 172. You heard that right. Episode 172 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Let me know how you feel about the show right in the comment section of your Apple Podcast at rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court and punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already today's show coach nick of b ball breakdown returns to combos court it's always great talking basketball and more with coach nick make sure you go subscribe to coach nick's youtube channel b ball breakdown you won't be disappointed intro music by luca beats let's get into it How you been, man? It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. A lot has happened since we last spoke, Coach Nick. By the way, welcome back to Combos Court. Hope all is well with you and the family. Uh, yeah, we're hanging in there. It's been a little bit hard to deal with, but uh, could be worse. A lot has happened, as I just said, you know, uh, COVID-19 and now recently protests over racism and uh, police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement, man. It's just you know, there's been protests over 50 states now, and I hope it leads to some much-needed change. Well, you know, it's unprecedented. We don't, I don't think we've ever seen across the country that sustained amount of protesting. And I've been kind of thinking about it because I have a, actually a political podcast that's uh, actually starting to kind of blow up now. And um, we were, I was kind of thinking about some of the other uh, deaths that were caused by police in the last several years that did not spark riots. And like, why did this is why was this the one after so many other just absolutely horrific, horrible things that we've seen on video? And I suppose you have to factor in, you know, COVID-19 and everyone being cooped up and sort of, you know, having that that weight on their shoulders. But uh, I, I also have to think that it's the, the biggest issue is that there's a crossover between the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and the opposition to Donald Trump. Coach, do you believe it'll it'll lead to much needed change? Um, I don't know. I, it, right now, it feels like there's going to be uh, a few tweaks to the the training, you know, and and some some lip service that way. So I don't know. I I, I mean, I, I like some of the models I've seen, like Camden, New Jersey, which they had tore it all down. And while it wasn't perfect in the beginning, it you know eventually it kind of took hold, and they were able to eliminate or not eliminate, but reduce the systemic racism that existed in these police departments. And um, I don't see how you do that across the board unless you tear it down, you know, get rid of the unions and start over again. Um, and, and that's what we need to do. And also the cops just have too many things to do. They, they're, they're just assigned way too many issues to deal with. And we need to come up with a better solution for that to let them do the very few things that they can train and be good at. What do you think about a society with no police? You know, it's funny because the laws only exist in a society like this insofar as X amount of people 
decide to follow them, right? I mean, if we all right. decided not to follow laws, there's nothing that the cops could do because there's too many of us and we'd have, you know, a crazy society. So that also goes to the question, do we, uh, do, are, do we believe that, um, do we follow the laws because we believe that oh, between right and wrong or are we just simply scared to be arrested? Um, and if, if that's the case, what does that mean about us and how would that work as far as do we need more or less cops? But I, I think when you, when I ask people that, I say, you know, when you pose that question of, you know, is the only reason why people don't commit crime is because they're afraid of, you know, getting arrested. I don't mean just necessarily street crime or, you know, like looting and all that kind of stuff. You know, we could talk about white collar crime, which right. is just as bad as any of the other crimes we see. I mean, it's not exactly violent crime, but it's the kind of thing that's so devastating, you know, econ economy wise and corruption wise. And there's no question, if you look at it in that prism, that all the people that commit those crimes have no fear of going to prison generally because they get off. Coach Nick, let's shift to basketball. Um, <laughs> okay. 22 teams, Disney, quarantine, bubble. Some players now seem hesitant. What do you make of all of it, Coach Nick? You know, I just started to kind of get, you know, tune my eyes and ears to what this hesitancy was because I, I sort of was unaware. I don't know. I've been kind of just sort of keeping my head down about the whole thing until, I mean, I, I, I accept, yes, it is happening, right? I mean, it seems like there's no turning, turning back at this point. Right. Um, I think everybody's going to play. But they have the choice not to. So that's the thing. Yeah. And I, I asked this on Twitter yesterday, the question of, you know, what happens if a, if a middling guy who's not like a star, but not at the bottom, you know, decides not to play? Is there a stigma attached to him later on, you know, in terms of other things? Uh, we've seen it happen with other players taking stands for other things. So I'm kind of wondering what that means. Uh, and then certainly, you know, there, there is legitimate fear. There, there's, it's not going to be perfect no matter what they try and do as far as keeping COVID out of this, the equation. Um, I, I have to kind of study a little bit more of what they're thinking, but it just seems like there's going to be a, a pipeline of, of um, out of the bubble people being around and right. no matter how perfect you can be, that's certainly going to be a risk. Um, and so that's, that's an issue and, I, and a very real fear on that side. Now, it also seems like what's bleeding into this is um, the notion that we are, our country is going through a, uh, a period of deep uh, unrest and, right. you know, to, to throw this season out there and sort of as a distraction for that might be a problematic, can be problematic for some of the players as well who want to make sure that this is addressed. Uh, yeah, the flip side of that is that, okay, have these games create the platform where the players can make statements where they will be, you know, probably more likely to get heard. So I think there's an argument on both of those sides. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's such a radical departure from what a normal NBA season would be that it, right. it does have that tinge of like, we just got to grab some cash while we have a chance. It really kind of feels that way. And that's, I think, leaving some people um, a little uneasy. Right. You mentioned a, a, player, a player might get that stigma. I think that would only happen if everything goes well. Like if there's some kind of disaster. Uh, there would be, oh, it's interesting. There, there'd be yeah. no stigma placed on that player. That player would just seem like, the guy who knew what was going on, you know? Yeah, right. No, that's a very good point. Um, and I, I wonder what the percentages are of what the epidemiologist would think as far as what's the probability of, you know, five people getting it, 10 people or more. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, part of me just kind of feels like I would be a little bit surprised if it went down perfectly and nobody got COVID. And then that said, you know, some of these guys who are the world-class athletes didn't seem to be affected too badly by getting it. 
uh, and recovered fine. But I don't know. I mean, we, we've seen stories of people who were like marathon runners in their 20s. Somebody got it like that who, uh, who it was just devastating and they barely made it. So it's a real strange uh, situation because no one can figure out exactly why and who gets affected by this disease. Yeah, I, it just feels like it changes every day. I mean, now I just saw a report that it's rare that an asymptomatic could spread the disease. I just don't know. Oh. Well, that's old news. And they, I think it's fake news. I think they came back, WHO came back a couple a day later and said, no, 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 we have, you know, data that shows that you can, you know, asymptomatic transmission is a significant factor. You know, I mean, it sounds nice, but I, I think it's, I think what I've seen is that it is, it's a, it's a, it's a concern. Now, by the way, that said, I, I've never thought I live in a situation where this is, uh, to get back to the politics side, this is such a Democrat Republican or a right wing left wing thing where uh, almost, you know, it's, it's divided into factions now where the right wing, you know, I, I spent uh, a couple weeks ago, all I did for three and a half straight days, I was listening to Fox News, Breitbart, you know, all the right-wing stuff. That's all I could get my news from. And it was like, there's just a real interesting denial of any notion of asymptomatic transmission. Um, and that's why they feel like everything can go back to normal. And it just seems myopic to me. Fanless games. Um, I have a feeling that effect of fanless games, I don't know, I feel like mistakes will be magnified. When somebody makes a mistake in a big arena, you know, the music, you know, they could pan off to the crowd. I don't know, man. I just think some of the mistakes are going to look really crazy when we see it. And obviously, players aren't going to be in perfect shape um, coming back into it, you know. Interesting. I mean, certainly a turnover when you're on the road, uh, you know, that, that gets That's pointed true. out pretty quickly. So right. that is something that might, they might not feel as bad about all of a sudden because they're just quiet or whatever. Um, so, like, when you're playing overseas, right, the, the levels, like, sometimes aren't that much different. But the leagues look worse a lot of the time because there's like a lot less fans. The presentation isn't the same, you know? So yeah. that's why it doesn't – like, let's say – let me think about it. Like, there might be like a second division in Spain where nobody's watching the game, right? Where there's nobody in the, in the, in the crowd. But then, right. like, there's like an Asian league where, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of like Asian leagues with like a lot of fans. But the level isn't as high. But the level seems just as high because of the presentation – and the mm-hmm. are nice, and you got the commentators, and you got the crowd. That's kind of my point. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, to me, I, I, I just need to look at the game, and they, I can tell the level. Uh, well, that's you. That's, you. that's not everybody. You that's know? right. About right. the casual but, fan. Yeah. But I do think that the coaches might actually like it because they'll be heard, and they might actually have more of an effect on these games because it'll be more, more like a practice where they can call things out and they can, you know, and you can hear them. And that actually might be the biggest difference of all this stuff is that um, you, you might just have maybe, I don't want to say more focused. Uh, and, and the other thing is, obviously, you never want to overcoach. That's going to be a real concern, uh, I would imagine, to coaches too, because all of a sudden they're like, hey, this is great. I could, they could hear me. I could talk to them on the screen and whatever. Um, it, it, you might want to run the, uh, the risk of overcoaching. They're stuck they're listening to the sideline the whole time. They're not playing free. Uh, right. But I do feel like, uh, you know, there are moments where, like, you know, will a hammer play in front of the, uh, the defense's bench work as well because they can really call it out and let the defense know what's happening. Right. I guess, well, maybe the Lakers will have an advantage because I feel like they're definitely not overcoached. And LeBron is just the coach on the court, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And they, <laughs> but, hey, they, they have plenty of vocal, vocal coaches on that bench too. For sure. Jason Kidd, they have a lot of guys. They have a lot of guys. What do you think of, uh, you know, there's pictures that came out of, of 
Nikola Jokic. He looks really skinny. I always felt like he, you know, he used his weight well. So do you feel like that's an advantage for him, a disadvantage or what? You know, I, I thought it was KP for a second. I literally was like, oh, why? <laughs> they're showing a picture of Nikola Jokic and then KP. And then I'm like, wait. Um, you know, I, he didn't get sick, right? He didn't get COVID-19 as far as everybody knows, right? I hope not. I hope not, Coach Nick. You know, I, I, in a way that, like, that, it looked like that to me. Like, he's so thin now that it was like, w- w- is there something wrong? Um, I don't know if it's muscle and if he really just became um, – I mean, did you see any other pictures of him where they get, we have a notion no. that he's lean? No, it's not – yeah, like, I, I think we haven't seen anything in motion, like him working out or anything. I think it was just that one picture, right? Right. Oh. And, I, you know, I have to be honest. I'm a little bit less sympathetic to those kind of players because – uh, they should be able to get into better shape, you know? Right. And, you know, there are certain players in the NBA you're like, God, like, you know, you're just, you're ruining, you're wasting an opportunity. I know big bones, whatever those arguments are and whatever, but it's like, come on, man. Um, there are ways. And you need, if you need to search them out to figure out how to train and how to eat and how to you know, do those things, you need to be able to do that. And, and so at any rate, uh, so wait, did it affect him? I mean, listen, his biggest issue was he just had no, um, uh, he couldn't play hard for very long. He would just get tired. It looked like all the time. And he's not. And, so, and he's not a switchable defender. I'd say those are his only weaknesses. Right? Yeah, right. That too. And and you know, yeah. for some reason, in my mind's eye, thinking about it, it never really. It didn't. Well, it must have for, with Denver as far as their defense. Did it kill them? Uh, I'm probably forgetting now because it's been a little while since I was watching their games. But um, but yes, uh, that would be certainly a big issue. And there's no question. You know, if you were to make over your body and went from what it used to look like with Jokic to if it's, you know, more, if it's leaner and it has more muscle mass and he's quicker and all the, and, and, and faster um, uh, laterally, then he would just by virtue of that be a better basketball player. Right. Nick, I wanted to shift to the Rockets. If I was a lot of these teams, I wouldn't want to play against the Rockets, Nick. I just really wouldn't. I think they're playing the math game. Uh, right. Will they, will they win a championship? Probably not, but I do think they are dangerous. What do you feel is the best way to defend against them, putting on your coaching hat? Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess the answer would have to be you have to go small as well. You know, and, and by the way, because of how small Covington is, you could go really small. Like you could go five guards, you know what I mean, at that point. Right. And, you know, P.J. Tucker is not going to kill you in the post. So there's no reason. Like I would kind of be intrigued by that. And by the way, that's what we're moving towards in theory if it does work to some degree. Because remember, the Rockets aren't playing to blow anybody out. You know, right. what is the goal of the game? It's to have one more point than the opponent when the buzzer sounds. And so that's what they are trying to do. And I, I get it. And, it, you know, I see, I see some, you know, I, I wish we had more games to really figure out what it was because he got traded, you know, midseason. I don't know. Uh, Covington had been there for maybe 20 games, tops, something like that. Um, right. And so I kind of just need more data, to, more possessions to study. But I have a, a video coming out, I think, tomorrow that's really interesting. I'm teaming up with uh, Second Spectrum. Do you know those guys? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. So, yeah, you know, they're the ones who are sort of have all the motion cameras and they do some of the most amazing uh, analysis. Uh, they, they can quantify everything now. So I asked them, I said, okay, I want to know who the best passers are um, setting up their teammates for the best quality shots because they have a whole quality shot measurement. But then I said, okay, now tell me which player is getting screwed the most by like players, the guys on the receiving end missing shots they're supposed to make. Okay. And, you, you know, not, not surprisingly, it's uh, James Harden at the top of that list. So he's generating really good threes for his teammates 
out of the out of his ISOs, and they can even tell me that. By the way, they can tell me what the uh, the action is that they're running to get those shots. Uh, he's delivering the pass. There's an expected field goal percentage, and what their actual field goal percentage is, is like lower than anybody else's, which is interesting because you have. So I would imagine Daryl Morey is looking at this and saying, "Well, this is just a question of regression to the mean. Eventually, they will get back to being better at shooting those." And once they get to that whatever threshold that is, because it's really bad now, and it's going to have to get better, it can't get much worse, then that will uh, equate to wins, and that will equate to wins in the playoffs, and then that could be series wins. So uh, I, it's dangerous. I don't know if a lot of teams are, you know, the, the really good top three, four teams probably don't, aren't really concerned about it. I certainly know way yeah. at some point, like having a lot of size used to be a thing. Oh, my God, how are we going to deal with this? And so they obviously don't bring that, and that's not the fear anymore. But then again, what happens if these guys start hitting the shots they're supposed to make? Then they're going to be they're going to have a lot of problems. Yeah, why? Well, the reason I say dangerous is because like they don't even have to play that well. Like they could get a lot of turnovers, they could make some mistakes on defense. But if they're playing the math game, they could still squeak out wins. You know? Well, what we discovered, I think, is that the three-point shot can, you know, uh, be a great equalizer. So suddenly right. you're not so concerned about offensive rebounds or giving those up. You're not as concerned about, yeah, turnovers because th- those two things were used to be the huge ones. Like, we can't turn the ball over. And it's like, you know what? Right. If, the, if the other team doesn't score immediately off of a live ball turnover, then eh, what's, it's just like a missed shot, really, right? And so it's not even that big of a deal when you can come down and hit a three and, and, and you know, minimize that. So – uh, and then the same thing with, um, you know, the, the offensive rebounds get put back sometimes. They don't they get kicked out sometimes. It's not necessarily a direct score. So it's like those are the things that you can't, you don't want to grind over anymore. It makes the ch- coaching job easier because now you're not, you're not going to be like screaming and yelling uh, when you see the other team get a putback. You know, they, you realize, oh, okay, there's perspective here. We just need to run our offense, get a good three, and we're right back where we started. Right. It's amazing how perception changes over the years. Who knows what's right? Who knows what's wrong, Coach Nick? Who knows, man? I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> Coach Nick knows. Coach Nick knows. You know what's crazy? We had uh, Skinny Jokic, but we also have Skinny Harden now. What? Yeah. You lost I haven't seen that. Yeah. Look at. Do up. I have to type hey. in Skinny Harden? And, and, and <laughs> I thought you – wait, you just said you know everything. What happened? I know. Uh, I know what's right, I think. Oh, okay. You know what's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm typing in Skinny Harden, and I'm looking at images – and I see a picture of him on a trail. Yeah. Oh, uh, he lost he, he's weight. looking pretty. Uh, he looks thin, but he also looks pretty uh, he, like he needs a haircut. <laughs> as, as do I. You're lucky you can't see me right now. Coach Nick. So well, I think that Houston's dangerous. Um, we talked about the bubble. We talked about Disney. Do you feel like this playoff system benefits a sleeper team that you could see out there in any type of way? Um. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of was looking at the 1999 example of the lockout season when the Knicks made it all the way to the finals. And I think part of the reason why was because they were a veteran team. They'd been playing together for a long time. So they didn't need, you know, uh, all that training camp or whatever they missed, you know, like other teams didn't, couldn't gel or yada, yada. This is a little different because they've already had part, the whole part of the season to go before they are resuming. So it's completely different. But I still can't picture anybody – you know, being able to overcome the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers. It just seems like they've separated themselves. And, um, you know, the Celtics got healthy, but there's just and the Sixers the And the Sixers, right? And the Sixers got healthy, right? Uh, right. Well, let's see. What was it? Embiid, was he hurt? Was that what it was? Yeah. Yep. 
Um, yeah, and, and both of those teams, though, uh, the, the Sixers more so, just leave me a little uneasy. Um, you know, the, the Celtics, there might be something there over that they could play over their heads and really be a threat. The Sixers, though, for some reason, just feel like there's just something missing on that team. And I, it might very well just be that the uh, pairing of Embiid and Simmons it's just not the. It's just not it. And you know, you, you try and you let them play for three, four years together, and at one point you just realize, you know what, this isn't isn't working. Uh, they might be toward the end of that experiment. Yeah, I just feel like there's something creative you could do when you have two of the top 15, 20 players in the league. I th- I feel like they just keep trying the same thing over and over again. You know, and I don't know, well, Bill. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if they built around them correctly. Well, here's the thing. You know, when, when you have your ball handler, you have your point guard who cannot shoot and won't shoot. Um, and then their offense doesn't sort of mitigate those things. They, they still let him sort of hang around the dunker spot. They're not right. getting him off coming off of handoffs. They're not I feel like there was less handoffs. of that this year, right, with hanging around? Well, the- I think that's the narrative. But um, I, my, my mind's eye now, when I was watching it, I still saw way too much of it. I know that uh, Coach Brown, you know, had said, yes, we were going to make sure we don't let him just hang out there and whatever. But – you know, I think he would gravitate there. He's just sort of a, that's where he naturally likes to go. And it's just going to be, you got to be on him. And, but you know, it wouldn't be a hard sell. It's like, listen, we want you to continually be coming off that pin down into handoffs and run, we'll run pistol for you every time we're going to run, you know, um, in the, in, inside ball screens for you every time to your left so that you can then maybe come back and finish with your right hand. Cause that's what he likes to do. Um, you know what I mean? It's just like every possession I see that's empty for them where he doesn't, He's not uh, the focal, the um, not the focal point, but the um, the spoke in the wheel. Uh, right. It's just a, it's just, why is he playing that? Like you know, I mean, granted, he's a fantastic defender, and that's going to help them. But it's just yeah. you know, when you're playing against anybody better than them, if they're the four C or whatever they are, anybody above that, they need more, and they could get more, um, but they need someone else. They need somebody to be able to help them to help Simmons understand how to maximize what he does have, and I feel like that's just not happening. Would you be surprised if they won the East? The Sixers? Yeah. Yeah, they won't win the East. They're not going to beat Milwaukee. You mean like beat, win, like get the first seed or get all the way to the finals? No, get all the way to the finals. Yeah, I don't know. they're not going to beat Milwaukee, I don't think. Do you? Oh, man. Do I think they'll beat Milwaukee? No, but I wouldn't be surprised either. I think they're pretty- hey, By the way, Milwaukee's, what, set records? They're winning more crazy amount of games. Uh, they demand, I, that, that wall, that wall hurt Milwaukee before that the Sixers put up. You know? Yeah, but I mean, are are we that impressed with Milwaukee? I mean, Giannis obviously is a no, single I'm not. talent. I'm not. It's and much- it they does drop off. You know, I I yeah. really 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 like. Um, um, oh my goodness, who's the second best? Divincenzo. Well, I like him too. Yeah, but uh, no, uh, the Middleton. I like Middleton. Oh yeah, he's you tough. Know? He's a perfect player for the NBA now. Tall, play defense, can shoot. Um, you know, there's a Bledsoe factor where he's just the weak link and they should have kept Brogdon and they probably couldn't for whatever the money was. But uh, that's that's going to be the moment where uh, it really hurt them. He's the guy that uh, is going to hold them back. I hate that because, you know, he plays hard and he means well, but he doesn't he's the guy that you're going to end up fingering. And it happened last last uh, playoff as well. So that, that always gives me pause. And then, you know, it does drop off after that. I mean, there's some good role players and stuff, but, um, you know, the level, uh, the, the ability level after the top two or three drops kind of dramatically too. Uh, but they're a team. They do play well together as a team. Um, but again, the way they coach their defense also gives me, kind of goes against every principle that I have. 
and yet they're like they're, they're dominating teams defensively. So I, I guess maybe I don't know everything because uh, that they're the one team that makes me just scratch my head and kind of question what I believe. Right. You know the thing with Giannis, and I mean I believe that Anthony Davis is actually a better player than Giannis. Um, but oh, I just heard this. This is a, did this bubble up on Twitter yesterday or something? Well, I, I, I've been saying that for a long time. I'm not. You think that Anthony Davis is better than Giannis? Yeah. Hmm. He's less schemable in the playoffs. Like, what, what could you do to stop AD? Nothing, really. You know, you could, you could do stuff with Giannis to stop Well, him. okay. I mean, I guess what you're saying is because AD can just go to the post and he'll just put post up and score. Yeah, I mean, he has, I mean he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a little bit better of a shooter, or he's, he's clearly the better shooter. He has floaters. He could score on three levels pretty much. Giannis could only score on one. He, I mean, he's a switchable defender. He's just as good of a defender. Um, I just think he's tough to guard in the playoffs. I just don't see what you could do against him. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, AD is not going to bring the ball up, get a quick drag, right? And then break yeah. the defense down. So, and that's di- it's different. It doesn't have to be better or worse. And certainly, the role of AD. I mean, listen, uh, it's a nice match made in heaven between LeBron and AD. And there's no question yes. why LeBron is leading the league in assists this year because he's never had a guy this good to <laughs> to pass to like this. Uh, a big guy. And so, I mean, you know, Chris Bosh. Uh, no offense to Chris Bosh. I think AD is better than Chris Bosh. Um, well, you know what? That's interesting. Is AD better than Chris Bosh? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, Chris Bosh was a much better shooter than AD. Much better. Right. And he just didn't quite get to the three-point line. But he really was a – you know, by the, by the end of that run, he, he, I mean, he was automatic from 20-some feet. But um, I don't know. It's interesting because the post-up stuff is, is fascinating to me in this weird old-school way where people want to move away from it, and yet the Lakers are kind of relying on it more than anybody or just about as much as anybody. Um, I don't know. AD leaves me feeling hollow, too. I think Giannis does it to some degree again because he his shooting is um, is a problem. Now that said, I did a split at some point during this year where uh, in their wins he shoots like thirty seven percent from three, and then their losses. Giannis he does, shoots, you're saying? Giannis, I'm sorry, I went to Giannis. Yeah, and then their okay. losses, Giannis shoots like twenty percent or less. Um, I I analyzed it. I looked at all the threes. They're the same threes. They're the same quality shots. They're the same. You know, n- nothing different about them, and. You know, it's, so it's like with Giannis, it's like, all right, it, so it's not like he doesn't shoot well all the time. You know, he, he seems to shoot well, you know, a lot. And, uh, and when he shoots well, if he shoots anywhere over like 30% from behind the arc, he's going to get his four or five attempts. Like, I don't know if you can stop them at that point because now you got a real problem uh, to have to try and guard that. Whereas AD, you know, he's not going to do this stuff with the ball on top and break you down. And um, but he doesn't need to because he's got you know LeBron. So it's it's just hard. It's hard to compare. I, I think for me with their roles the way they are now. But I wouldn't want to have to guard either of them. I guess what we're saying. Yeah, I think Divincenzo is really the X factor. Like if he steps up, they lack depth a little bit. I think if he steps up, they'll they'll go all the way to the finals. I don't see them beating the Clippers or the Lakers though. No way. Well, that's the thing is you know the Clippers I think have the most depth of anybody. In yeah, fact, you know what's interesting about that, Nick? So if if it's, yeah. if COVID nineteen attacks a team. The Clippers would be most equipped. Oh, that's a good point, too. Right, because yeah. they have enough pieces. Uh, right. But, you know, it's weird. You, you can argue that, like, it's the, when they bring in the benches when they're better, <laughs> you know. And yeah, when they that, ultimately get yeah. Lou, what, what's their best five? It's, um, it's Kawhi, Paul George, um, Lou, um, Harrell, and Beverly, right, I think? Right, right. You know, and the so the thing is, is that I think the Lakers attacked Lou on the pick and roll a lot in that lineup, right? 
Uh, that sounds right. And they would probably yeah. attack Harold too, who's not like a rim protector necessarily. Right. But that's the other thing is you don't you don't almost you don't need one. You know, what does a rim protector really do? The guy who's considered that way, he'll block three shots. Well, he he'll changes probably, a lot of shots, Nick. Yeah, he'll block three shots. He'll contest three more. You know, maybe four. So, you know, all right, so you got seven shots in there, seven, eight shots in the whole game where he'll actually affect. Like, you know, I think these, these preconceived notions of, like, what you need and what is good defensively. And I, this all comes down to, like, I've been looking at defense a lot recently and the sort of how it should be coached and what we should be expecting. And I do feel like um, for, for way too long, we've put the wrong emphasis on the wrong places. And so especially now with the way – uh, you know, the NBA guys can handle the ball and you can't really, you know, put your hand on them. Um, you need to kind of readjust what you expect and how you demand it and what you, and it, it, out of that, you'll get like, I think better performance from the players because mentally that you can get them in a better state where they can react better and be, um, you know, sort of quicker to, to move than when you used to have an all out assault uh, on the offense and demand like you shut the other team out which is kind of like how a lot of these coaches would coach, right? They would just wig out when you gave up a basket, when you're like, dude, they're going to do that 30 more times in this game. <laughs> you know, it's not right. the kind of thing you want to um, wig out on. Are you saying that rim running, rim protecting bigs aren't as important as people may think? Well, ask Clint Capella. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's Houston. That's an extreme case. They, I mean, I felt like they had to do that to give them a better chance. Do, I mean, is it a great chance to win a championship? No, but it gives them a better chance, I think. Well, I, here's the thing, uh, you know, like Clint Capella made all that money or whatever you could, and he used to be sort of the opposite, like with DeAndre Jordan, like Clint Capella could give you 75% of what DeAndre Jordan gave you, but only cost half as much. Right. And so now Clint Capella is making all that money. You can find somebody else who gives, who gives you three quarters of that production for half as much. So I just feel like as you move forward in the NBA, uh, that value of, like a, 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 non, a non-threat on offense in that position is just uh, it's not going to be worth as much. A guy who really isn't going to be able to shoot at all from outside, uh, you know, is, you know, you can find a lot of those kind of guys who are going to bang and get some rebounds. And they're useful, but I would imagine that the real uh, emphasis is going to be on guys who are going to be able to shoot, maybe put the ball down. I, I think what happens is, is that uh, Kevin Durant is a center uh, going at five years from now, six years from now. Really? Well, I would think that Clint is going to be a good fit with Trey since he's not the greatest defender. You know, you need somebody back there. Say it again? I think that Clint will be a great addition for the, for the Hawks because Trey is not a great defender and he's going to play a lot of minutes always because he's their star player, their superstar player. That, uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, it's the guy that's like John Collins. That, that's that's the, the guy you're going to want to spend all your money on. Right, right. Uh, you mentioned Boston before. By the way, uh, Nick, just side note, I have Lakers winning it all. Uh, but who, who do you have? Wait, who do I have for what? Winning it all. I have the Lakers. I oh, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have the Clippers. Okay, okay. I wanted to shift. You mentioned Boston earlier. Do you believe Jason Tatum has um, superstar potential? Do I believe that Jason Tatum has superstar potential? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we've seen, uh, you know, just enough evidence of that to some degree, but um, – you know, that it's possible. It's possible. I, I'm still not quite sold, although this season did change my tune a lot more than the past. He's, he was just becoming a much more of, a, of a, an elite shooter from three off the dribble right. um, and then catch and shoot as well. So that's going to be the real thing is when you, when you get to become elite there on a higher volume, that's really going to unlock a lot of things for you. 
And he was going to the basket better, so that was good. He wasn't sort of settling for those mid-range long twos. Right. So all that aside, yeah, he could get to that all-star level. Um, wait, was he an all-star this year? Did they have the all-star game? No. Yeah, yeah, he was, a, he, he was an all-star. They did the Elam ending, Nick, remember? Oh, yes, and I loved it. I did a breakdown of it. That's, so, yeah, I like Tatum more now. Thank goodness I saw what I saw from this year because I was, you know, a little bit dubious about what was going on. In fact, I still think that Jalen Brown might have the higher ceiling. I like him maybe really more. yeah 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 i'm not on jason tatum as many others as well i i think i actually think that brandon ingram is a more talented scorer than jason oh tatum. that's interesting and brandon ingram's another guy who really kind of has started to change my opinion from this year because right. i wasn't sold you know i would see glimpses i remember it with the lakers i'm like whoa but he just couldn't sustain it couldn't kind of do it right away but but he was much more consistent in New Orleans this year, and I like what. And by the way, it's really just too bad that Zion did get hurt and didn't play because I still yeah. think that New Orleans really had a chance to be a a, guy, a team that nobody wants to play. Did they make the cut to the twenty in the top twenty-two? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. New Orleans you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, because actually, I'm Brian Windhorst. I think said on ESPN that they really wanted to make sure Zion was in this thing. Right. And, you know, I saw Zion trending yesterday, but I kind of forgot to click on why. But, uh, oh, oh, no, was it, it was for NBA 2K. Was that what it was? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I, said. I, I think it was something about <laughs> something on 2K. But anyway, the point being that, um, I mean, Zion, I, I was saying he could lead the league in scoring this year before the season started. People thought I was kind of crazy. But I was like, just look at how easy these scores are for him. It's, there's no question he can get to 26, 27 points a game on like 60% shooting. And you know what? He came back. And he was, you know, he was getting limited minutes, which is what was limiting his total production. But the per minute production was crazy for him. And so right. um, I, I would be that, – that might be – you know what? I'm going to put uh, New Orleans as my dark horse right now. I think they might wow. scare a lot of people. And it's only too bad that they're in the West. Remind me, are they going to do – they're going to keep the East and West separate for the playoffs, right? Right. That's too bad. If they did it, uh, you know, 1 through 16, uh, I, I think that they could um, – they would really be able to do something. No, that's an interesting team right there. And Lonzo's improved a lot, too. I really liked how he got better in the offseason and his shot improved. Um, I think he has a chance to sneak into an all-star game at some point in his career. Oh, love him. He's great. He's going to be yeah. great. He is great. He's going to be better. It's, uh, you'll see him there for sure. Coach Nick, uh, last thing before we get out of here, if you were starting a franchise, who would you go with, Trey Young or John Morant? You know, I, I got a little bit entranced with John Morant. You know, you see a lot of the highlights and then, but if you watch the full games, you see, you know, the typical rookie mistakes as well from him. Oh, wait, now is he, wait, this is the second year, right? No, it's his rookie year. Yeah, rookie year. Right, yeah. right. It's him, and Zion, okay. him and Zion came in together. Yes, okay. So, so you'll still see the rookie mistakes. And it's like, oh, okay, right. It's a little bit, it's up and down, uneven. But remember, he's a starting point guard on a team that was surprising the heck out of everybody in getting the eighth spot in the, in the Western Conference, which tells you a lot. So I love him. He has that sort of Michael Jordan mold a little bit with his explosiveness and finishing and stuff. Um, you know, Trey is just an, a sort of all-world passer. And yes. then he hits those – he can hit the Curry daggers from 40 feet. Um, you know, I guess if you had a pick, it's like, you know, there's a notion of job because physically he's better. Yes. Um, and that's something that Trey just can't – he can't do anything about. Um, so, I, you know, but I – gosh, I, it's so hard. It's really hard. Um, I think I might, I might have to choose Ja for A, on the physical notion, and then B, uh, you know, he was leading his team 
in the in a much you know a harder conference into the playoffs as a rookie. Um, now that said, they had some injuries and John Collins is out uh, for a little while in Atlanta, and that hurts as well. And then by the way, we did see Memphis really struggle when Jaron Jackson went out. Right. Uh, so now we're like, well, who is responsible for? for all that success. But the bottom line is, is that Ja clearly is, is having a huge impact on a team that's going to make the, or should make the playoffs or was whatever you want to call it when they, up until now. Um, and that, that stands for a lot. So I, I might go with Ja, but man, I'd love me some Trey. I think that was spot on. And I agree with you hundred percent coach, Nick, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Let everyone know where they could find you on social media and everything. <laughs> Yeah, you just type in B-Ball Breakdown everywhere. I'm on IG, t- Twitter, Twitter during the game. So the games will be off the hook. It'll be fun uh, as I cover them, you know, while they're all playing back-to-back stuff. Uh, right, we're going to get multiple games in a row every day, I imagine. And um, so that'll be fun. And then, you know, obviously YouTube is the, is the hub where all the magic happens. Coach Nick, you're always welcome back on the show. Thanks for being here and talk soon. You got it. I'm in. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court and punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Big thanks to Coach Nick for joining in and go subscribe to B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube if you haven't already. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Leave a five-star rating as well and rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Be on the lookout for episode 173. Combo out.